Because we are going to read the Word now and we want the Word, God's Word, to land in fertile soil, don't we? We want hearts that are able to receive it. We want hearts that are able to hear God this morning. And as we read God's Word, um, even for yourself, just be praying, God, you know, let me see you, hear you today, speak to me, and as we listen to the Word as well. So we're going to be looking at Romans. So if you've got your Bible with you, if you haven't, or you don't have it on your phone or anything, it'll be on the screen. I'm going to read with you. We're into Romans 6, and um, read along with me as we look at what God wants to say to us this morning. Romans chapter 6, we're going to start with verse 1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we, who died to sin, still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we've been united with him in a death like this, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we've died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. And I want you to skip to verse 20 there if you're in your Bibles. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things which are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you've been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen? Amen. We are deep into our uh, series in Romans, if you've been hanging around, and many of you haven't. Um, but just to catch you up, we're doing a, a series on the first eight chapters of Romans, and we're well into it now, and there's been heaps. It's been amazing to see how much uh, we get to hear God and see God, and how Paul has, has laid open the gospel for us in the book of Romans. He's given us this master picture of the gospel of salvation. A fantastic picture of the power of God's work in Jesus or through Jesus. The freedom and, and the righteousness that's ours. And we've talked about that righteousness that's credited to us. The incredible grace that rescued us from God's wrath. We, we looked at, at, at God's wrath and, and how amazing that made, uh, that made it look for us to understand how we were rescued from that. And last week, uh, Joel, we were in Romans 5, 
and Joel shared with us uh, that message of we now have peace with God. Sin reigned once, but now grace reigns. And he explained that sin reigned, E.D., reigned, but grace reigns in our life. And, and that what an amazing message. Sin and death were completely abolished. And they don't have the final say in our lives. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that good news? That sin and death are abolished and they don't have the final say. Our sin cannot outpace God's grace, Joel was reminding us. And isn't that wonderful to hear? And there is more grace in him, I'm quoting Joel here now, than sin in us. What an amazing saviour. And, and as the gospel unfolds in Romans, we're seeing that. And I think you'd agree that those last words, our sin cannot outpace God's grace and there is more grace in him than sin in us, yet those are powerful and liberating words, aren't they? They're comforting and, and even kind of relaxing. The words in, in chapter 5, verse 20, where, where Paul says, where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. They're amazing words, aren't they? It's like a mathematical equation that you know, the more that sin increases, God's grace abounds and increases all the more. And we surely want grace to abound in our... Well, I do in, in my life. I'm sure you do as well. We, we, we like the idea of that, to be more and more, to be greater. So if I do the maths here, if I want grace to abound, if I look at use Paul's equation in chapter 5, verse 20, and I do the maths, if I want God's grace to abound, I've just got to sin more, right? Any math students, that's how it works. That's the maths of it. Am I right? Should we have coffee now? Should we stop there? I wouldn't mind coffee, but we won't stop there. I may not have been the first to think like that, looking at Paul's next chapter. Paul opens chapter 6 with those famous words. He's not silly. He knows what they might be thinking. Those famous words in, chapter, in six chapter, verse one, chapter 6, verse 1, What shall we say? Should we sin more that grace might abound? And then directly in verse, in verse 2, he says, what? No way. No way. And then he goes on to take chapter 6 to say, and here's why. Here's why, no. You know, it would logic and our human logic would tell us that after what I've said, that, that you need to sin more because then there'll be more grace in the world, but no, and I'm going to explain why. And he goes on to talk about this. Have you ever seen those bumper stickers? You know, you've got Christian bumper stickers on cars. And some of them make you cringe, don't they? You look at them and think, really? You know, and there's, have you ever seen that one? And you've probably read that, you know, that one, Christians aren't perfect, just forgiven, as I go through the red light. Or drive at 120 or something like that. My wife would say, you need a few of those stickers, Andrew. Part of that is true. Christians are not perfect, but they're also not just forgiven. Salvation, justification, and righteousness are not just forgiveness. They're not just God's agreement to wipe away debt with forgiveness being the end goal. And you can hear it even in how we phrase the question. You know, um, I think some of you can cast your mind back to the EE3, the evangelism thing, and, and the, you know, you get those little books where you share the gospel and, and then you go to someone and you, and you say, if you died tonight, do you remember that? Do you remember that question? If you died tonight, as if all the gospel was concerned about the answer to that question. But what if that's not the only question? 
or if that's not the end of the question. Paul's message in Romans takes us another step, doesn't he? He, takes, he's, he shares what he shared in, verse, in chapter 5 and he takes us another step. What's beyond forgiveness? What's beyond salvation and that credited righteousness? Is the gospel all that Paul's been talking about up to now? Is it just righteousness and forgiveness? Does grace only take us to that place? Now in chapter 6, Paul wants to show us that in the gospel are not only the resources to be delivered from the penalty of sin, I think I have it up there for you, but also the resources we need to be delivered from the power of sin too. It's not just forgiveness. It's the power of new life. So the question becomes not if you died tonight, but also if you wake up tomorrow, how is your life going to look different because Christ is in it? And this is what Paul's trying to paint the picture of. By the way, as I was looking for Christian bumper stickers, I couldn't resist. I've got to tell you this one. The bumper sticker, Pray for our president, Psalm 109 verse 8. Sounds nice, doesn't it? Look up Psalm 109 verse 8. I'll read it for you. May his days be few and another take his office. <laughs> Christian bumper stickers. There you go. That's got nothing to do with the message this morning. I just thought that was really funny. So how does Paul lay it out? As usual, he says a whole lot, and we couldn't do justice to it in, in a message today. But let me just focus on a few things that I think Paul is saying to his listeners, but I think that he's saying to us, and I think he's saying to me and to you. Paul says to refute, the things that Paul says to refute the idea that we should not sin more for grace to abound. The first thing I think he's saying, it's not who you are anymore. It is not who you are. He's, the first part of chapter 6, he spends time explaining to us that isn't who you are anymore. He says we died to sin. Now that's not a gradual moving away from sin or slowly getting a little bit more righteous. No, Paul says we're dead to sin. And as far as I know, there are no degrees to deadness, are, they? are there? No one is ever mostly dead, Right? You're either dead or you're not. It's also not like just renouncing sin. He's not just saying it's like, you know, like the, um, for instance, like the, the, you know, the movie with the mafia boss, you know. His son does the wrong thing by the family. He says, you're dead to me. It's not like just separating it like that. No, what Paul is telling us is that our sinful self no longer even exists. It died dead. With Christ, no degrees of sin, no degrees of deadness. And instead, he goes on to say, you died, you, you don't exist anymore. The dead, the old self doesn't exist anymore. You are now united with Christ in his resurrection. In his identity, when you were raised with Christ, you were united with him in all that he is, in his identity, reflecting or being like him. Tim Keller uses this, and I put this quote up because I think it's really good. I think we've got it up there. Yep, there we go. Everything that Jesus Christ has done, achieved, and who he is, is now legally true of us. God sees us as his son. Do you remember a couple of weeks ago I did that Bunyan quote, where I had that quote, if you were here, of Paul Bunyan, where... 
Paul Bunyan was all of a sudden this amazing revelation. He struggled with temptation and sin and he had this amazing revelation of how could it be that when God sees me, he could love me because I still sin. And he realized he doesn't see me. He sees Jesus. He sees Jesus Christ before him. And this is what um, Keller is saying there. Everything that Jesus Christ has done, achieved, and who he is is now legally true of us. And that's what Paul says. You are, your old self is dead. You're now united with Christ. So why would you ever go back to the old person? Why would you ever go back to the old behavior? Why would you ever go back to the way it was? And um, my son, Joel, JB, the only, when he was an intern, he, the only couple of sermons he preached, one of them was on uh, Romans chapter 6, I think. And he said, Dad, I've got a good, a good example for you. And I said, well, I'll use it. So I'm crediting him with this one. And he said, I used the example, you know, I've just come off the soccer field, I'm sweaty and dirty, and if you saw the seniors game yesterday, you would, you, this story will even have more impact, you know. Sweaty, dirty, and muddy, and stinky, and I go in the shower, and I wash all that off. Why would I go and pick up those clothes and put them back on again? I thought that was a brilliant example. That's what Paul's saying. Why would you? It's all been washed and clean. It's the stink and everything's gone. Why on earth would you go and pick up those clothes and put them in on again? Paul says death and sin no longer have dominion. Read mastery, control over you. So consider, in this version it says consider, or in some versions reckon, which is a, an accounting term, reckon, count on, reckon yourselves dead to sin and alive in Christ Jesus. And I summarized, uh, Eugene Peterson in the Message Bible summarizes these last few, ver- these, these, this section of verses from 12 to 14 like this. And I've, I put it up there for you again to read along with me because it sticks in your head if you read it with me. So that means you must not give sin a vote in the way that you conduct your lives. Don't give it the time of day. Don't even run little errands that are connected with that old way of life. Throw yourselves wholeheartedly and full time. Remember, you've been raised from the dead into God's way of doing things. Sin can't tell you how to live. After all, you're not living under that old tyranny any longer. You're living in the freedom of God. That's what Paul's trying to help us to see. Now, you might say, like me sometimes, you might say, but I don't feel dead to sin. Anyone with me there? Do you you have that sometimes? I don't feel dead to sin. And I keep failing and the sinful desires are still very much a part of me. I'll I'll refer you back to that John Bunyan quote and what Keller said. But also remember Abraham. We looked at Abraham a few weeks ago when Paul was using his example. Remember Abraham, he was infertile at 90, wasn't he? And God declares that he would have a son. You're going to have a son. And when God said that, Abraham didn't say, you know, I think you're right. I have been feeling kind of frisky the last few weeks. So yeah, I believe you. No, Romans says he believed what God said even though he didn't feel it. Let me remind you, he believed what God said even though he didn't feel it. Even though he knew his, his equipment was way out of working order, I guess, by 90. But he believed what God said was true. And when and Romans says, when he believed what God said, he received strength to live it out. That's what we need to understand. 
I don't feel dead to sin because it keeps raising its ugly head and, and reality tells me that at 90 I cannot have a baby or in my sinful in this world I can't. But he believed. We need to believe what God says about us, that you have been united with Christ. You are no longer the person that you were. You just aren't. Let me say that again. You're no longer the person you were. You just aren't. Augustine was a famous, um, and some of you might have heard of Augustine, a famous, um, perhaps a father and author of the faith. And he struggled as, as a young man quite, quite a lot. And he went through a few journeys of getting to know God and, and then finally making a commitment to God. And he didn't have a very, very nice life when he was young, particularly in the area of women, etc. And the story goes that, and I've got it up there, um, one of the early saints, Augustine, had indulged in, a, in great sins in his younger days. After his conversion, he met a woman who had been the sharer of his wicked follies. Old language, but you can imagine what we're talking about there. She approached him winningly and said to him, Augustine, but he ran away from her with all speed. And she called after him and she said, Augustine, it is I, mentioning her name. But he then turned around and said, I know, but it is not I. Does that make sense? I know, but I'm not that person anymore. My humanness is still there, but it is not I. It's not who you are anymore, so why go back? I think Paul wants us to understand that. In chapter 6. Second thing that I had here that I think Paul wants us to understand is that you have a new and loving king. You belong to him, so serve him only. You have a new and loving king. You belong to him. And Paul recognizes that as humans, we will all serve something or someone. He calls it slavery. Different versions call serving, slavery. Each one of us offers ourselves Paul uses the word present, but each one of us offers ourselves to something or someone. All that we are, we might offer our skills or our, our wisdom or our experience or our resources or our passions or our dedication, our efforts, um, dreams, and, and I could go on. All of these things, we give them to something or someone. We might even give them to ourselves. It, in my life, it's often I give them things to myself. I serve me. It might be fame or, or fortune or, or success, you know, making your way in the world or getting the best degree or, or the best relationship or the biggest business or whatever it is, we, we, we offer ourselves to that. It might be comfort or acceptance or love or, or family or, or community. And, and Paul says you will, we will serve, some, we will present ourselves to something. That's the assumption. And those things can become our king, the one we serve and they can begin to own us. Paul says that once you devote yourself to someone or something, you become its slave. And every king we serve that is not our Lord leads us back into sin. Every king that you serve that is not God will lead you back into sin. The old self rises up. When I serve myself, the old self rises up. When I serve the wrong thing, when I chase the wrong thing, the old self rises up. And we have a new and loving king that's exercised amazing grace to save us and to credit us with righteousness. 
And thanks to him, we're now slaves to righteousness. No one likes the word slaves. When you read that, you think, I'm not a slave. But Paul calls us slaves to righteousness, committed to serving righteousness, serving the, the fact that we're united with Christ, that we are one with him. And uh, Tim Keller, in the same um, article I was reading, he said this, he said, this of our king, the one we serve. Jesus is the only master who, if you find him, will satisfy you. And if you fail him, he'll forgive you. All the other kings that you might want to serve, all the other things that you might want to give yourself to or present yourself to, will never do that. They may satisfy you for a while, but they certainly won't forgive you when you fail. They may not even satisfy you. Jesus is the only king that when you find him, he'll satisfy you. When you fail him, he'll forgive you. Why would you not live for him? Why would you not serve that king only? But it isn't passive, it's active, isn't it? Paul says in a few places, now present yourselves or offer yourselves in other versions. So that means you've got to do something that's dynamic, it's active, isn't it? It's not just sit back and say, bring it on, Jesus, here I am. Present yourselves as slaves to righteousness. It's active, it signifies effort on our part. We're not just passive bystanders. Paul is saying, why would you continue in sin? Strive to act like a slave to the one who loved you and loves you. Not only did he justify you, he's leading you to and through sanctification. Let me say that again because this is really important. This is where Paul's going. Not only did he justify you, not only are you righteous and and forgiven and, and have salvation, he is leading you to and through sanctification. Verse 19b, if you look at this last part of verse 19. So now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. Here is a little hint of what God's up to. Here you start seeing the flower open and the picture getting broader, don't you? What is God up to? That God is up to something much bigger here than you even thought in the first five chapters. This leads me to my third point. I thought I'm going to be really reformed this morning and have three points in my message. How about that? The reward is great. Paul says the reward is great. Paul reminds the listeners in verses 21 and 22 that a life of sin wasn't doing them much good. And I think we have them up there, number 21. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things that which you're now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. The fruit was not so good. He says, when you were slaves to sin, those things led to death. And that was the very thing that Christ defeated. But when you give yourself to those things, they lead you right back there again. But then the very next verse, he says, but, you know, he says, but now that you've been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification. There it is again. Leads to sanctification. And its end is eternal life. He's saying, but remember, you were part of that victory. You were part of what Jesus did on the cross. You were part of that victory over sin, that defeat. You've been united with Christ. You've been set free. And now the fruit you get, the benefit you reap is sanctification that leads to eternal life. Can you see the bigger picture emerging? Can you see what's coming out now? The gospel was and is never just about justification. It's not just about salvation and then you rest there. 
And Paul wants us to understand that the gospel is never, was never just about that. God's work of justification in our lives is perhaps even like a, a launch pad into the journey of sanctification. You know, we understand if you grew up in and some of the, the, the Reformed theological thinking, we understand that we were justified once, but we're being sanctified as we go. And Paul's pointing to that. This is that journey of sanctification, isn't it? And the gospel, the justification is kind of like a launch pad to the journey of sanctification, God's ongoing work in our lives, a process that will only ever end when we're with him. A process of becoming more and more like Jesus. Living out that united with Christ thing. It's about our journey home to our forever dwelling with our Father in heaven. And that journey has begun now. Isn't it? It starts right here. Look at L. That's what was about today. That journey starts right there. It started with you right there when Jesus came into your life. Justification, it's done. And now, the walk of salvation, because he's bringing you home. He's taking you to your eternal home, and he's taking you through that process of salvation. And Christ's work on the cross, God's amazing grace, his righteousness, which is now ours, enabled and enables that process in our lives in order that one day we will fellowship with our Father in heaven and we'll no longer struggle with that tug of sin We'll no longer struggle with the, the, the death that hangs over our souls. We'll no longer serve the wrong master and be drawn back into that. Paul says it's worth it because the reward is great. Why would you continue in sin? It's worth serving God. It's worth the effort. It's worth trying. It's worth turning our back on sin and taking on the new identity more and more each day. Now, it can be hard. And we might fail again and again, but God is busy shaping us, isn't he? He's busy, busy that, that process of salvation, he's busy shaping us and building us into the kind of person that he wants us to be. He's sanctifying us. He's our loving king and he wants to live in us and reign in us. I know we've used this example before, but C.S. Lewis has this wonderful quote and it's worth looking at again. If you've never read it, and you probably have, have a look at this. It's a bit small. Sorry about that, so I'll read it for you. If you've got x-ray vision, have a look along with me. Um, This is what he says. Imagine yourself living as a living house. God comes in to rebuild that house at at that house. And at first, perhaps, you can understand what he's doing. He's getting the drains right and stopping the leaks in the roof and so on. You knew that those jobs needed doing. You knew there was little things that needed fixing in your life, right? And so you're not surprised. But presently, he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts abominably and doesn't seem to make any sense. What on earth is he up to? The explanation is that he's building quite a different house from the one you thought of, throwing out a new wing here, putting on an extra floor there, running up towers, making courtyards. You thought you were being made into a decent little cottage. But he's building a palace. He intends to come and live in it himself. That's what he's doing in our lives. That's why he says, you're not that person anymore. Live as a, united, a person united with Christ because I'm going to come and live in you. So why would we even consider continuing in sin? Grace can't get bigger or better. As Paul told us in chapter 5 and as Joel shared with us last week, But our future and purpose with God gets brighter 
and better and more purposeful and brings more glory to God when we live as those that are united with Christ. We just baptized L today. Why did we do that? Because even L is a part of this. Even L. She doesn't know it yet. She's the recipient of that grace. Even though she's not aware, she also shares in the death of Christ. And she's also had the power of sin broken over her life. You look at her and think, she's just so innocent. How could that possibly be? But wait, she's going to be a toddler too. God is shaping her too, isn't he? To be a child of his and to ultimately be a palace that he will come and live in. Isn't that amazing? Paul wants us to understand that the, the glory of the gospel is that we no longer fall under, the, fall under the burden of sin, that we've been set free, that we have righteousness credited to us. But don't go back there. You've been justified, but God is calling you home in the journey of sanctification. Why would you go back? Amen? Let's pray. God, we just want to thank you for <clears throat> so many amazing ways that we see, even this morning, so many amazing ways that you've seen our work, your, your work in our lives. Have we've seen your work in our lives? Through baptizing L, through worshiping together and singing, for acknowledging the generations that are present, even right here, right now, for the community of God that you've given us and called us to be a part of here and, and those that are visiting from their communities. But most of all, what a blessing it is to know that we belong to you, that we've been saved by you, that salvation is ours, that we no longer need to live the way that we used to live. What a wonderful blessing is that it doesn't stop there, that you keep drawing us on in that process of sanctification, that we get to present ourselves, that we get to be the people that you called us to be, that we don't need to go back and put those dirty clothes on anymore. We don't need to go back and become the person we were, that we can look forward and become who you have designed us, desired us and called us to be. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for Paul's letters and Paul's wisdom that you gave him that he shares with us. Thank you for the confidence of knowing that we belong to you. Jesus, we love you. Amen.